In today's podcast, I'm talking with Monica Ellis, CEO of the Global Environment and Technology Foundation and CEO of the Global Water Challenge Coalition, which has launched Women for Water. Women for Water is a clean water and women's empowerment action platform advancing gender equity by empowering women and girls in 10,000 communities through water access, sanitation, hygiene, and life skills programs by 2030. As stated on Women for Water's website, water is the common thread to alleviate barriers to women's empowerment in communities of need. Women often have fewer opportunities, including those related to education and employment, bear greater health risks, more responsibility in their homes, and diminished voices in their communities. We know that water is essential to life. We also know from Women for Water's founding organization, Global Water Challenge's wide-ranging experience, that reliable access to clean water transforms the livelihoods of women, their families, and their communities. Women for Water is grounded on the path-breaking ripple effect study conducted in partnership with USAID's Water and Development Alliance and Ipsos, which further substantiated this evidence by proving that water access enables women's empowerment through eight vital pathways. When women and girls have access to safe water and sanitation, they are healthier, stronger, safer, educated, employed, heard, and empowered. They no longer have to walk dangerous distances, are able to stay in school, stay healthy, aren't shamed by lack of provisions for their menstrual hygiene, and are able to reach their potential. This impact must be taken to scale worldwide. Women and girls need support from individuals, civil society, agencies, and companies alike to unlock their full potential and change their lives forever. Now that sounds like a plan to get behind. Stay tuned while Monica and I discuss what led her to help women one drop at a time. Her work with GETF, the Global Water Challenge, and Women for Water. We'll discuss how each of these organizations is working to help empower women by 2030 and the groundbreaking study that is helping to lead this change. Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. My name is Marie Sola, and I'm a firm believer that women and girls play a major role in creating change for our future. This podcast tells the stories of the women and girls who are creating that change, each in their own unique way. Every day is an opportunity to blaze new trails and set positive change in motion. The possibilities are endless. Let's get started. Monica Ellis, welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. 
Thank you, Marie. It's great to see you. I think I've been meaning to tell you how much I love the name of your podcast because as women, I think we're all daughters of change. We're all called to be that anyway. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, I uh, just quickly, Monica, that came to me at three in the morning. Uh, really? Yeah. And I, the next <laughs> morning, I, th- I woke up in the morning and I thought, I have to buy this URL. Like, I didn't even know what I was going to do with it at the time. I mean, I had an idea and it was available. So it was meant to be. It was a daughter of change guardian angel tapping on your shoulder. Totally. I mean, really, I was like, this is never going to be available. And if it is, it won't be the dot com. But I got them all. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so I'm really excited to have you here. We've um, we've been talking back and forth for a while. You're working on some amazing, amazing projects. You're a total daughter of change in a number of different ways. So we have a lot of um, really important and interesting topics to discuss today. So thank you for agreeing to come and join us because I know your schedule is hectic and busy. So appreciate that a lot. My pleasure. Well, I read your bio at the beginning of the podcast here, but I think it's really always nice for people to hear right from the daughters of change mouth. So I wanted to just kind of go back before we start talking about all of your projects and GETF. I wanted to just talk a little bit about you. So you grew up in the Midwest. You graduated from U of Missouri in Columbia. and Mizzou. Yeah. Did, Mizzou? Is that it? Yeah, Mizzou. Right. Exactly. I like that name. And you, But you started your career as a journalist. So how did you end up as the CEO of GETF? Well, thank you for asking. We could probably take up the entire podcast talking about that journey. Um, I like to work and I've probably been working since I was 14. I'm always very curious, restless, and I have a hard time being still. So the short version is after I graduated from Mizzou, I started out as a journalist working in the Midwest near St. Louis. And um, that's also kind of where my big interest in water started. I kind of grew up on the banks of one of America's great rivers, the Mississippi. And I've always been fascinated by water and how it connects all of us and is the real connector for civilization. And so I was working as a journalist and I was offered an opportunity based on that work to move to Washington, D.C. to serve in the strategic planning unit for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. It was just through a happenstance connection, and the Corps is really not known for its sustainability practices, but I happened to be offered a job by this enlightened three-star general that was leading the Corps at the time, and he was quite an outlier. Uh, It was General Hatch. So he wanted engineers to be leaders on sustainability because he understood that they translate science into practical things and technologies. And so that was great work for me. And it really gave me a whole um, buffet of topics uh, around sustainability and wonderful connections. And it really sparked my interest in sustainabilities and the partnerships that are required to make that happen. So while I was at the core, I worked on several international efforts, including serving as part of the U.S. delegation for the Earth Summit. And that was The Earth Summit at the time was really putting the concept of sustainable development at the forefront of the international agenda. It resulted in the adoption of Agenda 21, which was a plan for achieving sustainable development in the 21st century that was signed on to by a number of heads of state and countries and still is very relevant to this day. But really from there, the seeds were planted. Some of the connections that I made at the Corps included a colleague who was then at the National Security Council, and he was leaving government to start this foundation that was meant to catalyze 
partnerships that helped advance sustainable development. He asked me to join, and I've really been leading that foundation, including to some of the the other organizations that I work on since um, 2000. So that's uh, kind of how it all came together. It's really interesting how those happenstance, you said that, you know, you met this general initially by happenstance. It's really interesting how those little synchronicities can set us on a path, isn't it? Yeah. I was doing some coverage um, for the core of a really amazing project that they were doing in the Midwest. It was the largest civil works project in the country at the time. And they decided to use that civil works project as a way to also restore wetlands, reintroduce species that hadn't been there uh, for years, and really do some very proactive environmental restoration efforts. And so that's what I was covering. And that work um, caught the attention of this individual. And so that's just kind of how it started. I I love I really like stories like that. And a lot of the Daughters of Change I talk to have similar stories, like how the trajectory of their life started in the or or their lives as Daughters of Change uh, and their work started from these, you know, these happenstance meetings or these synchronistic things that happened around them. So now we are going to focus uh, on the global water challenge today and women for water. But before we do that, I just would love it. You're a CEO of two different things simultaneously. So I'd love if you could give us a brief overview of GETF and some of the other projects that your foundation works on as involved with how many countries they're in and just the types of projects and impact, just so people can understand the scope of the work that you do with GETF. Absolutely. So GTF is is our main platform, but we have two others. And over the past 30 years, I would say GTF has really developed a reputation for getting things done in the development sector through partnerships. So we work really across countries and regions. We're working in cities and villages. And these partnerships that we form with the public and private sector really are meant to transform lives, help communities thrive, and they may focus on different themes of sustainability. It might be a life skills empowerment training program, a clean water, sanitation, and hygiene access program, um, or health system strengthening. So those programs are working across 77 countries right now, and that work is achieved by both our team at GTF, and then we have a number of just really hundreds of wonderful partners that we work with in the countries where we operate. And so over the past decade, GTF, I think our, where we, we just celebrated impacting over 10 million lives through clean water, sanitation, and improved health services. That's GETF. It's really just that partnership design, it's management, it's generating financial leverage for these sustainability programs. Um, The other two programs that we focus on, one is called the U.S. Water Partnership, and that's a collaborative platform for about 125 different U.S. public and private sector organizations. They unite and bring their expertise and resources and innovation to address water challenges around the world. And we have significant involvement in the U.S. Water Partnership with the State Department. A number of countries around the world have national uh, partnerships that focus on water. This is the U.S. Water Partnership. We bring that U.S. sector expertise together and make it available, not only here in the States, but to the world as well. And then, of course, Global Water Challenge that we'll talk about, which is our platform that's focused on clean water and community empowerment. Yeah, you're, re- you're really, you're impacting 
so many lives. And I mean, you just went to 10, would you say 10 million? 10 million. Yeah. 10 million. That's huge. That's not a drop. That is not a drop in the bucket by any stretch of the imagination. And I, now that I want to dig into the global water challenge and you kind of, we just set it up with some of uh, the the statistics of the 77 countries and the 10 million people. Um, so for the global water challenge, according to the, to your website, around the globe, nearly 1 billion people lack access to safe water and over 2.5 billion lack access to sanitation. Illnesses resulting from a lack of safe water kills more children under the age of five than HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. And then according to the United Nations Development Program, for every $1 spent on water and sanitation, it generates a return of $9 and save time, increased productivity, and reduced health costs in Africa. So this is this is big. This is big. I mean, this is a big problem. So the Global Water Challenge was founded in 2006. Is that correct? That's correct. Right. It started at the UN Foundation initially. Okay, and so can you explain to the listeners how the Global Water Challenge operates and what the core mission is? Sure, absolutely. And you're right, it is a major challenge. And and we can talk about that. I'm sure that'll be a thread for the rest of our conversation. But for me, working on a whole range of sustainability issues and then lasering in on the need for clean water access, sanitation, hygiene, it was as if I was struck by lightning um, because this is the force multiplier issue. This is the cornerstone foundation issue that affects all other development. And it really, other than the air that you breathe, the water that you have available to you when you're born affects the outcome of your whole life, your cognitive development, everything that comes after Um There are other factors, but it's certainly in the top five. And so I just really felt like this was something that I wanted to spend a great deal of my personal time, talent, treasure um, addressing. So Global Water Challenge came together really to be a coalition of leading organizations, public and private, so companies interested in investing in this space because it was critical to their social license to operate, as well as organizations like USAID and other donors who have the mission of advancing development um, and development, of course, being impacted. And, you know, development starts with water, basically, um, just in a nutshell. So these leading organizations are meant to achieve, the mission is to achieve universal access to safe and affordable drinking water, sanitation, and hygiene in communities around the world. And over the past, I would say, five years, we also have had a very clear part of our mission focusing on empowerment. So when water is available in a community, how do you make life skills, employment opportunities, improved health, empower that community to greater heights? So GWC creates those partnerships, and we really only achieve that goal through collective action and a big role of GWC is helping mobilize that collective action. That means bringing disparate groups together, whether it's companies, foundations, donors, communities together into partnerships where they can achieve their objectives together. And and that's what we do. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And as we're going to discuss further on, you mentioned empowerment, but uh, the lack of water and sanitation has a, a really huge impact on women and girls as well. So we'll we'll be digging into that. That was a little like a little soundbite of what's to come. But I do want to ask you. You talked about um, you know working with the different partners, and it's it's a coalition of sorts. So why is the coalition of partnerships so important? And what what are the core programs, impacts, and results that you've seen so far? Sure. Well, the coalition actually brings the strengths and the power of many to these communities. So partnerships really accelerate sustainable development to deliver impact at scale. And what we've seen with GWC is since 2006, we positively impacted more than 2 million people across Africa, the Americas, and Asia with clean water access. And that can only be done through a coalition model really because there's no one organization that operates well across all those different contexts. And uh, you have to really knit together the diverse interests of the donors, of the communities, of the governments to achieve that as well. Does that make sense? It, It absolutely does. And I'm really happy to hear that because I think so often that, um, with with NGOs and nonprofits, there sometimes is, and I just had this conversation with another woman that I'm going to be um, interviewing, that sometimes it's hard for people to work together, even though they're everybody's kind of doing their own thing, or it's not even that it's probably even thought about. It's just everybody's so busy doing their own, own thing on the ground, and sometimes people are overlapping and doing the same things. If you can bring people together, you know, and work in a coalition or in a collaboration, you can get a lot more covered. So... It's true. Well, if you think about it, Marie, like each one of these donors has their own differing geographic priorities for impact. They've got a thematic investment area that's of interest to them. And so our role is really to help knit those perspectives and preferences together in these different markets where we operate. And so some of GWC's development-oriented partners and members along with our donors, which include, you know, some of the best and largest companies in the world. You've got the Coca-Cola Company and Cargill, Dow, um, the Wallace Genetic Foundation, a number of groups that, you know, really are second to none in their business areas, bringing that talent to the challenge of safe water. Yeah, and you, and so you're you're really like a high level uh, collaboration project manager in sorts too, making sure all the pieces flow together, which is that's exactly really, right. And they flow together. Oh, I, I used a water analogy. Look at that. I said they flow together. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have a lot of those, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I inferred earlier about the uh, impact on women. And so due to the lack of research on the impact of women's access to safe water, sanitation, hygiene, and its ties to economic development, the Global Water Challenge partnered with several other groups to collect data in what became the Ripple Effect Study, correct? That is correct. So who was included in this partnership? So in this partnership, this was um, supported by the Coca-Cola Company and Foundation in USAID through the Water and Development Alliance, um, Global Water Challenge, and then the leading market research company, Ipsos, as well, which was our our partner for the collecting the findings. What we found, Maria, was we got into... You know, we've supported these programs across just using Africa as an example, 41 countries. What we were seeing is that the most sustainable programs, those with the highest development outcomes, those with the most lasting outcomes were 
led by women. And we really wanted to understand what was happening there and to understand the impacts and be able to articulate the impacts of what happens to women and their communities when water is present, clean water specifically, is present. And so we wanted to do a study on that. And hopefully that study would then provide the underpinnings for mobilizing more resources, awareness, action to the critical role that water plays in the development, not only of communities, but of women and their families as well. Yeah. So another another great example of collaboration. And what was the data that you were able to collect from the ripple effect study? Well, we, we collected data with interview teams that were collecting across three countries and programs that we had in three countries in Africa, in Nigeria, Rwanda, and Swaziland. And so what the data showed really is that it helped identify these eight pathways to empowerment. These are the constant themes that were coming up in the interview and that were proven out by the research. And those eight pathways are what we call the ripple effect or the ripples, if you will, which help capture the various ways that access to water impacts women across the developing world. And so, shoot, you want me to go through what those were? Because I can. Yeah, I, can. I think I would love to hear what the eight pathways are. I think it's, it's I think it's going to be really important to the next to when we start talking about uh, women for water as well. So please do tell us what the eight pathways are. Sure. So one key pathway, of course, for women when water's present is improved health. The health outcome that you want to achieve, whether having water access available at the clinic where you're going to you know, access any medical care, we saw improved health. We saw improved food security and nutrition because water was available to grow food. And that food could also be used to feed the family, but also to generate income. Uh, we saw more time for education. When girls are not having to collect water, they can be in school. And so we saw improved educational outcomes. One of the biggest findings was around time savings, and the time savings component is significant because the women actually estimated the amount of time that they saved not having to go collect water and how that time could be put into more productive activities, whether it was having uh, more of a, a job or career within the community or time savings just to take better care of themselves. So that was a really important one, and we'll come back to that in a minute. With the time savings, we saw and if a job or a career path was available, we saw increases in income in the communities for women. We saw better safety and security, which was another pathway because there is a lot of documentation around the safety of women and girls and how that's negatively impacted when they're going out to collect water far distances, you know, it becomes a pathway sometimes for people to, to prey upon them. And so having water close to the home or in the home definitely helped improve safety and security. And then we saw some, some improvements around leadership and skills and then shifting roles and norms. As women had more time to either generate an income or do other activities within the community when not collecting water, what we saw is that women were perceived a little bit differently. So for example, in the study on the time savings piece, over 47% of the women in our study were able to devote time saved to income generating activities and entrepreneurship or participating in community groups. And we know that women invest in their communities at a rate of 90%. So for money they earn, they reinvest 90% of that back into the community. And that's not the same case for men. Um, so when a woman has income, 
your community is getting better and growing because of the way she invests that money. We also saw that 90% of the women in our study who used time saved to pursue income generating and entrepreneurial activities reported increased income. And, and so that was huge. And then over 88% of the women reported that their household was healthier with an improved water source. And then lastly, I would say we had um, an increase, this was very interesting, of 62% in perceived male respect for women in communities post-intervention with water being introduced into the community. So those are just some of the findings that we found. You can find more about it on our website, globalwaterchallenge.org, and read the study. And there's some wonderful graphics that really just show those pathways. But for anybody who's interested in development or you're interested in like critical pathways to women's empowerment, they start with water. That's really, that's the, that's the headline. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's something that I think a lot of places in the world that just turn on their tap take for granted. But, you know, when you're saying time safe for these women, these women, it could take women all in some cases, the better part of the day to go get the water and bring it back. And it's also interesting how when mama's bringing home the bacon, the respect level goes up, isn't it? <laughs> this is very true. You know? This is very true. But really, it is. I mean, I, I don't mean to diminish that with the joke, but the it, the truth of the matter is um, there are these sort of underlying issues that if people don't dig and figure them out, the, the rest of it isn't going to get better. So this is huge. It is. And sometimes, you know, you can miss the plot and focus, for example, just on training or just on activities that help income generation or any one of those uh, rungs on the ladder that lead people out of poverty. But if you haven't addressed water, sanitation, and hand washing, basically, or hygiene and education, hand washing with soap, so critical now during the pandemic, you have to address that or you're going to be stunted in the outcomes that you achieve. Yeah, people have to have their basic needs met. I mean, that's exactly you know, right. plain and simple. And now, I really, I, I love this next part. I, well, I love all of it. But now, based on, or should I say, informed by the ripple effect study, Women for Water was formed, which is a global water challenge platform committed to supporting the empowerment of women and girls in 10,000 communities across the developing world by 2030, I believe, through water, sanitation, hygiene, and life skills development. Um, does that, that tie in with some of the UN goals for women and girls as well? It absolutely does. And it's meant to be driving to help achieve SDG 6, but also several others. So SDG 3 on good health and well-being, SDG 4 on quality education, gender equality is SDG 5. So it is, again, one of those cross-cutting opportunities. But really, the theory of change uh, for Women for Water is based on that evidence that we just discussed, that water uniquely catalyzes a shift towards women taking greater control over their lives at a personal, a household, and a community level, and that this in turn uplifts communities. And then those pathways we discussed share all the different ways that that happens. So what we wanted to do with Women for uh, Water is one, mainstream this information, get it out to as many people as possible, not only development professionals, but any influencer, leader, president, who wanted to take the information to inform their investment priorities and where to begin when you're looking to uplift communities. And so the platform is meant to drive investment and collective action, 
really at that intersection of water and women's empowerment. We believe that by working with local stakeholders, we can address their water-related challenges in communities through holistic, sustainable, women-led solutions. And right now, where we are is by 2022, we'll positively impact over 100,000 women and girls in 300 communities in 21 countries, including the U.S. There are a number of people within the United States that don't have access to household connections, or they have water that is unsafe to drink, and therefore they're having to bring in bottled or packaged water uh, at a high cost. So we look for great partners to work with and are open to working anywhere that this is a challenge. And 2030 is not that far away if you think about it. I know, we have a lot to do. I, know, I looked at that initially and I'm like, <laughs> oh, 2030. And then I started, then, then you said 2022 and I'm like, oh my God, like it's like seven and a half years from now. <laughs> I know. Considering, you know, we've lost valuable time Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, what we've done with the platform and with GWC's partnerships during the pandemic, we have helped our partners pivot to really address COVID. And that includes um, ensuring that they had the PPE equipment that they needed to operate safely within their communities, making sure they had hand washing stations and hand washing with soap because soap is so critical to fighting the virus um, as well. And so we've had to do a little bit of pivoting beyond just the basic water access, sanitation, hygiene uh, recipe um, to really help them deal with their frontline issues that are presented by COVID. It's, It's setting women and their communities back decades right now. So there's not a minute to waste. Yeah, scary stuff. And so you told us about the platform. Um, that, you know, Women for Water, getting the information out there across the countries. Um, and, and you touched upon it, but just to, to reiterate, what are the top key priorities? Oh, sure. So what we do is we prioritize the u- unique needs of each community that we work with. As you know, Marie, water is a very hyper-local issue. And so the challenges you're facing in your community may be different than the community down the road. So we try to address that context through a holistic women-led solutions. And then we bring to life that story through collective action with our partners and then also compelling storytelling on social media and and some of the other channels. And so the main types of interventions uh, really fall into clean water access. Our goal is household connections, but where the money or funds are not available for that, then we have centralized points. We work also with utilities and helping improve their ability to serve very poor people. I mean, utilities need to collect rates, you know, to to survive and grow. And so sometimes it's very hard to have a business model to reach the poorest of the poor within their communities. We help them with that as well. And then uh, a number of our programs also have these life and entrepreneurship skills. So once water is available in your community, how can you create a business out of that, whether it's delivering water, working at the water kiosk, making soap, doing laundry. There's a whole range of different professions that are possible when water's available. So you have these grassroots programs that are unique to the unique communities. They fit the needs of the communities you're in. Um, and there's really a sustainability to it because you go beyond just bringing the water. Now, you, uh, well, what I know, but which people are about to know, is that a lot of these programs are led by women. That's right. Our projects are designed by women for women. Okay, so why is that? Tell us why. So I shouldn't say a lot. It's all of the the uh, Women for Water 
grassroots projects are led by women, correct? Yes, that okay. is correct. So tell us why. Give us the breakdown. Break it down for us, Monica. <laughs> well, I'll break it down. Just as we talked about those pathways, you know, when the number of women in leadership roles related to water resource management increases in a community, new gender norms are established. And that also helps build the acceptability of women as decision makers. Um, I think the care and tending that they provide to these projects is always very evident, and it yields dividends in terms of how long these projects last. As more women participate in community affairs, they establish their voice, and then they have greater access to leadership opportunities, whether they're formal or informal. And that, that plays out in their households as well as in their communities. So that's really why it's, it's about developing agency and leadership. Yeah. Walk at the talk. It's beautiful. It's really, it all ties back, like you said, up to the, the eight pathways that came from the study, which came from, you know, the Global Water Challenge. So this is, yeah, it's all tying in beautifully, if I do say so myself. Well done. Job well done, collaborative partners <laughs> of the Global Water Challenge. All right. So how do these priorities that we've talked about uh, tie into the UN's sustainable development goals for the agenda for 2030? And I think you did touch upon that a little bit earlier, but if you could just refresh us on that. Absolutely. So water is an accelerant for achieving all of the UN's sustainable development goals. And we could spend, again, another podcast just connecting all those dots. But really, as a platform, Women for Water addresses several SDGs, through different projects, not just WASH, but also sustainable agriculture, business skills, the whole person leadership work that we do. But the most applicable ones are probably SDG 3, good health and well-being, SDG 4, quality education, SDG 5, gender equality, of course, SDG 6, which focuses on clean water and sanitation, and then SDG 17, which focuses on partnerships. But really, you can name any of them, and we could link the story quite back to water and women. Yeah, fantastic. So there is, again, it all ties in. And you also recently launched a Women for Water campaign with Super Bowl champ Chris Long's foundation and a host of female athletes and sportscasters, which I think is pretty cool too. So tell us about that. Yeah, I would say water makes for very you know interesting partnerships. And so in this case... Uh, Chris Long, uh, not only when he was playing football for the Eagles and the Patriots, but since he has retired, he has a big passion focused on clean water access. And Water Boys um, raise money from the various NFL teams. And what this partnership that we've started is really focused on female athletes in partnership with Chris and his Water Boys. So the program is called Water for Her. And you can find out more about it on our website or at waterforher.org. And the four is the number four. But in teaming up with them, uh, what we're trying to do is unite athletes, influencers, and fans to raise funds and awareness for clean water access. And so our goal for Water For Her is to mobilize 100,000 women here in the U.S. to help empower 100,000 East African women. The countries we've selected are Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, and Rwanda. And we've been doing a whole range of different activations around that. One that's coming up in the fall, which I encourage your listeners um, to look into, is called the Hike for Her, where you can mobilize your own cadre of friends and family or at your work and take a hike and raise money for this cause. 
and more details are available on the website. On International Women's Day, we announced our first wave of athletes and influencers who are supporting the year-long effort. And some of our notable ambassadors include Julie Ertz, who played for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. She was the 2019 Soccer Female Player of the Year. We have Joyce Ekwaramadu, who was with the Nigerian national team and was one of the first female Harlem Globetrotters. And then we have influencers like Mina Kimes, who is award-winning journalist and NFL analyst. So there's so many that are involved in this, but the main goal is to raise awareness and funds to bring the voice of female athletes uh, to the challenge and to, to help women in East Africa have that clean water access that is the key to their empowerment. That's a, what a great program. I love to see people giving back, you know, people that actually have a lot of pull and a lot of um, contacts uh, just, you know, give back when they get on the other side of, uh, you know, of working 24-7. So um, really nice program. And we will make sure that there are links to all of the websites and to obviously the ripple effect study and to the global water challenge everything and facebook pages uh, social media so we'll make sure all the links to everything we're discussing are in the show notes so if you're driving if you're exercising and you you weren't able to write that down don't worry just look down in your show notes and there the links will be all right so we'll make sure that's there um well monica i'm sure that you have a lot of really great stories and probably even too many to count. But could you share with us one of your favorite success stories around the um, Women for Water? I absolutely will. And I'll share a couple of examples from our work because there really are too many to count. And I like children, like you can't play favorites. So <laughs> I wanted to share some stories about con- that show the context across the different areas where we, we work. So one of our partners is Mama Maji. Uh, that's coming out of Kenya. And they work quite a bit with the Maasai community in Kenya. Um, they really activate on women through water through their social enterprise. So they work with three different communities and they're providing wash infrastructure and products to them. And in the wake of COVID-19, what was so cool is Mama Maji's learned how to make soap and face masks to provide to their communities. They've become community educators and they conducted trainings on hand washing and PPE use and social distancing. So I'm very proud of their resilience and the work that they're doing. Um, their core work of the program that we have supported for them is constructing water tanks and hand washing stations in communities, which will ultimately provide about 9,000 people with clean water just in uh, the county in Kenya where we're working. But I'm very proud of their resilience um, during COVID. Another great organization that we work with here in the U.S. is Dig Deep, and that is focused on clean water access on the Navajo Nation, and we're supporting funding for household water communities for Native American women and their families, but they're also innovating new business opportunities for women within the Navajo Nation, whether it's water delivery to households that still don't have that household connection or other enterprises that are emanating on the Navajo Nation lands. Wow. So you're you're doing this all over. So it's here in the United States too, which people might not realize. Exactly. And then lastly, we have an example, a great example from our work with global grassroots in the Jolly sector in Rwanda. And what they do is they create a cohort of women 
and these women are, once water is available in the community, they actually create these women-led venture teams. The venture teams decide together what it is they want to create in terms of a business. So they're going to have refurbished water access points that serve about 10,000 people, hand-washing stations, but then the women entrepreneurs can pick which pathway they're interested in pursuing for their income generation, whether it's making liquid soap or providing um, emotional support to high-need community members, um, using the water that's available in the community to grow food, not only for their families, but also to sell. So what I like about that example is that the women are coming together and doing a very self-determined analysis with support from Global Grassroots to pick the path that that water is going to open up for them. So already, I mean, as you said, there's too many to count, but you know this is working. You're seeing firsthand uh, the the results of the efforts of this collaborative. So we would love to get to 10,000 communities. We need to raise, you know, over a hundred million dollars. So we are chipping it out. And the work that I just reported on is very um, encouraging, and it encourages us to go further to to reach that really high level goal. Well, hey, all you billionaires that are going into space, drop some this way first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just saying. Not, <laughs> not, call, not calling anybody's names, but just saying. There's no bigger priority in my mind. Well, yeah, exactly. You, you could you could go to space afterwards, but first let's drop some cash here, guys. Uh, <laughs> so. Well, the economic lift, Marie, that we would see from that investment no would be 10 times at least the amount invested. Um not to mention all the other ripple effects that you get from empowering women. So exactly to me, it seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, it's a good investment. So there you go. So you'll reach that. I know you will because you're so determined and you've already done so much. And so I've, I'm going to put it out there to the universe. I'm going to make this happen because you're a daughter of change. And we know the daughters of change make it happen. And you're a daughter of change who's working with like all these daughters of change. Exactly. So, how could it not happen? We're just we're just trying to put the wind to their backs. That's totally. It. Well, on that note, what's the? I have to ask you this because I ask every daughter of change on the podcast this. What's your best piece of advice for the daughters of change that are out there listening today? Okay, well, I'll give you a few things um, because so much good change comes from women. I mean, we're the ultimate adapters and collaborators, and we get things done. I think without fanfare. So I want to applaud you and all of those that you're interviewing and their work. Um, But my advice is really, you have to set a high bar for your work and for the people you surround yourself with. I think that each generation takes the progress on these fundamental issues and basic issues like water and equity and empowerment a bit farther. And it's our responsibility. So we have to bring folks into it and bring folks into your orbit, speaking of space, that share the seriousness of that challenge. And then something I learned very early in my career is to really work on issues you care about with people you like. I've always found that to be kind of the key ingredient to my happiness. I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing people on my journey. And if you find that you're working with a group of warriors who are focused on getting stuff done, you should stay doing that, working on those things that matter. And then lastly, I would just say, you know, water for me is that force multiplier issue. And if you focus there, you can, you know, affect really all sorts of development and opportunities for people. As I kind of get older and, you know, my children leave the nest, uh, it's really heightened my focus on what legacy I want to create with the time I have. And so 
beyond my family, I would say helping people gain access to life-sustaining and life-saving services is that legacy for me. So, you know, with our partners and what we've done so far, it's a legacy I can be proud of. For sure. And your kids will be proud of it and your grandbabies, I mean. So that was some good words to live by, Monica. Thank you. Now, this is really probably one of my favorite parts of the podcast because Daughters of Change is a platform to tell the stories of the Daughters of Change and all the things they're working on. But I also think it's important that the community that's listening knows how they can help and support the initiatives of the Daughters of Change who are on this podcast. So Monica, how can the people listening connect and support the initiatives that you're working on? Well, thank you for asking. The first thing I would say is just go to globalwaterchallenge.org and learn about our programs. There's opportunities to donate, to volunteer, to get involved there. Um, If you're interested in the work that we're doing with the Water Boys and the Chris Long Foundation, go to waterforher.org, and that's the number four. And then you can link with our athlete ambassadors and take the pledge to help empower 100,000 women over the course of the next year. And then, of course, getf.org. That's the Global Environment and Technology Foundation. But all of that's available also from globalwaterchallenge.org, too. And we'll make sure that, again, all of those links will be in the show notes for you as well. So, Monica, this has been, I've been waiting for this podcast. I've really, this has been informative, uplifting, um, and just love to hear everything that's accomplished. And I can't wait to to hear in 2030 everything that's happened. I know you're going to you're going to knock those goals right out of the water for the UN with all the water challenge. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to achieve it earlier. Yeah, there you go. 2025, <laughs> man. Let's do yeah. it. And before we sign off, any last words, anything you wish everybody knew, any parting words? Just thank you so much for joining and you know, you can make a difference. Every person can really make a huge difference on this challenge just by engaging. You can go deep, you can go shallow, you can make a big difference. I hope you'll join us. 